It is Monday, October 2nd, 2023, and this is Ozarks at Large. I'm Kyle Kellams. I'm Matthew Moore. Today, a startup incubator for businesses focused on outdoor recreation. In our opinion, it's designed to help us put the equipment, in our case, our equipment, our gear, things like that, that we can put in place to, again, be more safe, to do more things. Plus, a citywide celebration of the music of Arkansas-born Florence Price. As he talked about all the impending violence that was going to occur, and he was doing this for the safety and the well-being of everybody in Little Rock, uh, I thought to myself, he ain't talking about me. And an archival greatest hits. Everyone likes to say that she was a, a pioneering orchestral music composer, but I think she was so much more. A survey in Arkansas history through sound. First, the news from NPR. Crystal Bridges Museum of American Art in Bentonville invites guests to discover American art, architecture, and 120 acres of Ozark nature. Visitors can also enjoy family activities and programs and a variety of food and drink experiences. General admission is always open to the public. More information at crystalbridges.org. KUAF is supported by Dr. Kathleen Wong, a psychiatrist providing infusion therapy for treatment of depression and anxiety disorders, serving the Northwest Arkansas community since 2017. Following NIMH protocol, studies show ketamine infusion therapy can reduce suicidal ideation and is an effective alternative when other treatments fail. DrKathleenWong.com for information. This is Ozarks at Large for Monday, October 2nd, 2023. I'm Kyle Kellams. I'm Matthew Moore. Thank you for your support last week during our Autumn On Air fundraiser. Your financial support helped us meet and go past our goal of $100,000. From all of us at Ozarks at Large, thank you. And welcome, Central Arkansas, to Ozarks at Large. Today marks our debut with Little Rock Public Radio. Listeners in Central Arkansas can now hear us at 7 o'clock every weeknight on KUAR. Later this hour, Randy Dixon with the Prior Center for Arkansas Oral and Visual History helps us celebrate our first show on the Little Rock Airwaves. He picked some of the greatest hits from the Prior Center's archives that we've shared as part of our regular Monday salute to the state's history. Those greatest hits in about 15 minutes. First, a startup incubator through the University of Arkansas is entering its third year. Their focus is on outdoor recreation with businesses stretching from Springfield, Missouri to Conway. Ozarks at Large's Jack Travis brings us the details. For the past three years, the University of Arkansas's Office of Innovation and Entrepreneurship has turned wild entrepreneurial dreams into realities through the Greenhouse Outdoor Recreation Program, also known as GORP. GORP is a startup incubator specifically designed to support businesses looking to break into the outdoor recreation industry. The program came about in the summer of 2021 after the U of A received a grant from the Walton Charitable Support Foundation to stimulate the outdoor industry in the region. Along with GORP, the university used funding to create new curricular programs focusing on outdoor education and a Master's of Science and in Product Innovations degree. Phil Shellhammer is the Senior Director of Business Incubation for the Greenhouse Program. He says program managers wrote GORP's grant very generally. It's like we want to help you know, um, create innovative products and services within outdoor rec industry, um, supporting entrepreneurs from idea to launch. That was the that was the initial grant rewarding. That's the mission we've said we're trying to do. Shellhammer says Gorp aims to help people from the start and build their businesses into profitable ventures. Agnostic to 
what type of industry you're in or agnostic to um, whether it's uh, a services business or a product business or a digital solution or a hospitality or as the case is, we wanted to help as many businesses that touch outdoor recreation as possible. The program offers support in two ways, a la carte and full-on incubation. With a la carte support, entrepreneurs have access to workshops, networking events, and consultation with program staff during office hours. Alternatively, startup managers can apply to be a part of GORP's semesterly cohort. During the 12-week incubation period, cohort members meet regularly and receive personal mentorship from industry leaders. Businesses in the cohort also receive $15,000 of non-dilutive seed funding. It's free money. We, we don't take any ownership of the company. Um, we don't require it spent on certain um, in certain ways, we just provide it as a way that we know this $15,000 will help you build your business um, as you work through our program. With eight companies and 18 different founders, the fall 2023 GORP cohort is the largest yet. Typically, outdoor rec businesses are geared towards activities like cycling, rock climbing, and hiking. Shellhammer says a new partnership with the Arkansas Game and Fish Commission has allowed the program to expand support toward businesses geared toward hunting and fishing. So this cohort, large, right? Lots of people, lots of companies, that's great. Um, but but really, really unique founders and business models. We've got, you know, um, very, um, we'll call them seasoned professionals, right, who have been working in in their professional industry for a while, right? So they bring all that amazing professional experience, but they're building something new and unique that hasn't been seen in the market before. A new Bentonville-based cycling app, RiderUp, is an example of such a business that is creating from the ground up. Co-founder and avid mountain biker Steve Otan says he, along with his partners, wanted to create an app that bridged a gap in technology between cycling and social media. Imagine the combination of digital messaging, Facebook events, and instant location sharing. Similar to Waze, so you can kind of see in real time where people are. Um, you can see if there's a trail uh, trail closed. Um, so uh, if if, uh, if a user finds a tree down or a trail closed, they can put it on the map, and then other users can can see that. So there's a crowdsourcing um, component to it. RiderUp is currently in late stage development. A startup incubator is especially helpful for a small team like OTAN's because it creates structure for his company to build off of. Uh, we basically um, just bootstrapped the, the development, the MVP or the, the minimum viable product. Um, so what you're looking at, the three of us just kind of, you know, ponied up and <laughs> we spent the last, we, we've been developing, we're, we've been at this for about, 14 months. I think it was July of last year when we when we first sat down and said, "Hey, let's let's do this thing." He says their inclusion in the GORP cohort and the funding the program provides allows his team to finance marketing endeavors and perform maintenance on their program. Smaller companies like RiderUp receive guidance from established companies like Cave Springs Outdoor Educational Services or OES. OES is a company dedicated to removing barriers from the outdoors. Actually, those who are not necessarily into the outdoors are our prime target, if you will. That's Sean Klein, co-founder of OES. And the reason I say that is 
we provide an environment that teaches them some of the basics around, for example, backpacking or kayaking in some of the great rivers that we have around, around the area. Um, again, doing it in a safe way. Um, we have the gear, so we provide them with the gear. We provide them with the, the basics around and the foundational fundamentals of doing some of the thing, the activities. Um, and then we take them out and we put them in the water or we put them on the trail and we go with them. He says they've been around since March, and he's using the funding as a capital investment to expand what kind of expeditions they can lead people through. In our opinion, it's designed to help us um, um, put the equipment, in our case, our equipment, our gear, things like that, that we can put in place to, again, be more safe, to do more things. Um, so one of the things that we're, that we're going to invest in with, with part of the money is, is uh, pack rafts. Pack rafts are small, inflatable rafts that can be packed down to a portable size. They're designed to be used in almost every body of water, from lazy buffalo currents to whitewater Cossatot River rapids. Um, so we can not only sponsor a team for Expedition Ozark um, and be able to supply them with those pack rafts, um, but also there's opportunities for us to, to use them in our day-to-day business and rent them out. So it can not only be you know, an activity, but frankly, it'll create, hopefully, some, some revenue for us as well. This semester's cohort will have a chance to show off their products at the GORP Demo Night on Tuesday, November 14th. The event gives the public a chance to visit with founders and learn more about the companies and the products they're producing. For more information about the program and all companies in the cohort, visit gorp.uark.edu. For Ozarks at Large, I'm Jack Travis. By the way, the next square-to-square bike ride from Bentonville to Fayville along the Razorback Greenway is Saturday. But the last chance to register for that ride is on Wednesday. If you're 14 or older, registration is $35. Younger than 14, you pay just $20. Shuttle rides are an additional $10. More information at RazorbackGreenway.org. Ahead on today's show, a handful of favorite sounds of Arkansas history. Whereas October the 24th, 1966 will mark the homecoming of Brooks Robinson, who was born and raised in Little Rock, Arkansas, educated in the public schools, and graduated from Little Rock Central High School. This week's Prior Center Profile, a collection of archives from our more than 150 visits to the Prior Center Archives. That's in about six minutes on Ozarks at Large. Parts of China are going underwater more often. Weather extremes and concrete infrastructure lead to more frequent floods. So a landscape architect is designing sponge cities to soak up the rain. You actually are playing Tai Chi with nature, not uh, boxing with nature. Soft force instead of hard attack. Our Climate Solutions Week continues on the next Morning Edition from NPR News. Morning Edition, tomorrow morning from 5 to 9. The Bentonville Moves Coalition, along with Bentonville Schools, Brightfield Middle School, and Willowbrook Elementary are partnering to host student bike rides to and from school in honor of Bike to School Week. All week, these group rides, or bike trains, will provide a way for children to commute to school safely under parental supervision. Bentonville Moves Coalition Manager Jennifer Pearson says biking to school provides numerous benefits to both students and their parents. It's an opportunity to meet other like-minded students and parents who are interested in utilizing alternative means of transportation to get to and from school. It's a great way to start healthy habits at an early age. And for parents, it's a great way to skip the car line. (laughs) 
Pearson says the bike trains are just one component of the bike celebration. Students will also take part in programs and activities that highlights cycling education all week long. For more information, you can visit the Bentonville Moves Coalition website. Little Wing Productions announced earlier today that the Neil McCoy concert that had been scheduled for next week at the auditorium in Eureka Springs has now been canceled. According to a press release sent this morning, refunds for what was to be the October 12th concert are being sent. A national report is giving Arkansas a low rating in terms of elder care AARP ranks Arkansas 37th for elder care among states nationwide. The assessment examines several factors, including affordability, access to care, and support for family caregivers. Gas Buddy reports the average gallon of gas in Arkansas is nearly seven cents cheaper than a week ago. The website calculates the current price is $3.33. That's roughly three cents below the average cost at the first of last month, but still almost 15 cents more expensive than this time last year. The national average for a gallon of gas is 44 cents higher than in Arkansas. Several Arkansas producers are being honored with Mid-America Emmy Awards. These troops are the pest control. Coming from above, there are the well-known decomposers, flies such as these flower flies. Dirt, a production from Arkansas PBS, was given the award for Best Audio. A documentary about the Arkansas Razorback women's basketball team's trip to the Final Four in 1998 earned an Emmy in the sports one-time special category. That film was produced by Hogs Plus. Additional Mid-America Emmy Awards were given to Arkansas PBS, KATV, KHTV, KARK, and KLRT. The awards were announced at a ceremony Saturday night in Branson. The Blessings Collegiate Invitational Golf Tournament begins today in Fayetteville. Much of the event will be seen nationally on the Golf Channel. The Arkansas Razorback women's and men's team serve as hosts. The women open the tournament as the third-ranked team nationally, and the Razorback men are ranked 11th. The tournament at the Blessings Golf Club continues through Wednesday. Tomorrow on Ozarks at Large, graduate students at the University of Arkansas discuss the impact of an executive order from Governor Sarah Huckabee Sanders. A lot of us during the summer spend time working on our dissertations and our thesis. We had to put a lot of time aside and begin to communicate out to each other just about like, well, how exactly do you feel about this? You know, I think that was like the first step. How the dissolution of the DEI program at the U of A is impacting students and staff. That's tomorrow on Ozarks at Large. You can also find all of our individual stories, past and present, at our website, ozarksatlarge.com. There's also a link to our newsletter that brings you the latest stories directly into your email inbox every weekday morning. And links to listen to Ozarks at Large in podcast form. All of those at our website, Ozarks at Large. Dot com. Whereas October the 24th, 
1966 will mark the homecoming of Brooks Robinson, who was born and raised in Little Rock, Arkansas, educated in the public schools and graduated from Little Rock Central High School. And whereas the citizens of Little Rock are very proud of this fine young man. This is Ozarks at Large. I'm Kyle Kellams. With me is Randy Dixon. Hello, Kyle. Hello, Randy. Randy is with the David and Barbara Pryor Center for Arkansas Oral and Visual History on the Square in Fayetteville. And for it's great to be here. It's great to be here, and you know, and what? great to be in Little Rock for the, the first time. So let's first, okay, first let's explain what we just heard. Okay, that was Little Rock Mayor Sonny Henson from 1966 proclaiming Brooks Robinson Day in Little Rock. All right, we'll get back to why you heard that in a moment. Our listeners, our regular listeners in Northwest Arkansas and the Arkansas River Valley in eastern Oklahoma know that you and I, most Mondays, get together. You pull archives from the Pryor Center, and there are many archives. That we got from KATV, of course, the ABC affiliate in Little Rock, uh, were donated 26,000 hours of news, weather, and sports footage, which I was a part of gathering for 31 years. Right. Uh, and now I'm with the Prior Center and digitizing all of that that we will have uh, available on the website to view. Most Mondays we take usually a single topic or a single person and examine that event or that person's yes, life. Yes, and use audio from the archives, often get uh, updated updated interviews with people who are involved with the story, and we just sort of, sort of take a, a snapshot of uh, Arkansas history. But what we're doing this week and next week as part of the celebration of expanding Ozarks at Large to Central Arkansas, sort of the greatest hits. Best of, if yeah. you will. All right, so we heard that from then Little Rock Mayor Sonny Henson talking about Brooks Robinson Day. Well, as we all know, uh, Brooks Robinson, uh, Arkansan, uh, born and raised in Little Rock, uh, considered the greatest third baseman in Major League Baseball history, uh, was with the uh, Baltimore Orioles from uh, 1955 to 1977. But uh, he passed last week uh, at the age of 86, and so we wanted to begin this this segment with a little tribute to uh, Brooks Robinson. Right, and um, he was beloved in Baltimore, still beloved in Baltimore, but still beloved in Arkansas. That's right, and um, as a matter of fact, uh, he was just a couple of years older than my father. And my father used to go watch him play at Lamar Porter Field in Little Rock, um, Brooks Robinson's junior high, high school. And he was that good mm-hmm. then that people would come from all around just to see him play uh, yeah. amateur ball. Uh, and so that um, devotion to Brooksy continued through his career. Right. And so in 1966, what's significant about this is that the Oreos had just beat the Dodgers, the L.A. Dodgers, in the World Series four games straight. And so that's why Little Rock and Arkansas had a big homecoming for Brooks Robinson. So this clip we're about to hear is from the famed late uh, sports 
director Bud Campbell mm-hmm. from KTV, and he was at the airport along with hundreds, maybe thousands of people to welcome him. And there was also a Hall of Famer uh, and Arkans and Bill Dickey there. Uh, I certainly appreciate that. I tell you, a lot of nice things have happened to me, uh, especially this year. And But this is the nicest of all, coming home and uh, being welcomed by people you've known all your life. And this is a high point in my uh, career and a high point in my life. Bill Dickey, a Hall of Famer and a fellow who knows a real good baseball player when he sees one. I think, Bill, you're as proud of Brooks as everyone in Arkansas is, aren't you? Bud, you're not kidding. Brooks, I want to say congratulations. We're all proud of you down here, and I know how you felt when you that final out of that uh, World Series game, four straight. Well, you're right, uh, Bill. It was a great thrill, and I tell you, I was really glad to get those four out of the way. I didn't care about going back to Los Angeles to play anymore. <laughs> Brooks, uh, were you excited when the thing started and when it ended? Well, I tell you, I was excited right at the first, the first part of the game, and uh, after Frank Robinson hit a home run the first ball game, well, that kind of took the pressure off of all of us. But after that, it just was another ball game after the first three or four innings, and uh, I really felt like we were going to uh, win, beat the Dodgers. I felt like we had a better club. Robinson played his entire career with the Orioles, a couple of world championships, MVP of the 70 World Series. 18 times he was an all-star, 16 gold gloves, he was the best. He was also known as the human vacuum cleaner because yeah. he he made amazing plays. He did, um, yeah, and died last week at the age of eighty six. That's correct. So uh, let's pick another topic. Okay. Um, last week was also the sixty sixth anniversary of the Central High Crisis. So of course, KTV over the years covered this story. Um, even on all of the anniversaries that that followed. So let's go first to uh, the origin, uh, Governor Orville Faubus, when um, he called out the National Guard. And in conclusion, let me state, for all to hear and to heed, the public peace will be preserved. And of course, the... Counter to that was President Eisenhower calling in federal troops, right to ensure that right. they were. So you have so you have Falbus preventing this with the Arkansas National Guard and Eisenhower bringing in federal troops to ensure their their safe entry into class. So um, I wanted to pull up something from 1987 that's also in the KTV archives, and it's former Little Rock Nine student Ernest Green when he appeared on Good Morning America for the 30th anniversary, and he actually appeared on the program with Governor Faubus, former Governor Faubus, and uh, he didn't mince words about his feelings towards the former governor. As he talked about all the impending violence that was going to occur, and he was doing this for the safety and the well-being of everybody in Little Rock. Uh, I thought to myself, he ain't talking about me, uh, and I don't think he has my well-being in mind. And of course, just last week, we had you know members of the Little Rock Nine talking to high school students and still talking about how there are Arkansans who don't want to try to come to terms with the racism that's part of our past. That's true. Yeah. That's true. Uh, I did want to bring in one other um, archival clip, 
And because you can't talk about Central High without talking about Daisy Bates. Right. And, you know, she was a key figure in keeping the the nine students, you know, together and focused and safe. She actually had drivers uh, taking them to class, to school, uh, during all the controversy. But um, this is actually from the 20th anniversary, so let's back up a little bit. This is to 77 when Daisy Bates uh, attended a ceremony at Central High. This is Hoover that it did not take 999 persons to change the destiny of this country. It only took nine. Nine children, remember friends, united. They knew what they were doing and they knew how, how important that they walked through that door and they stayed up in this building. That's the voice of Daisy Bates. I'm Kyle Kellens along with Randy Dixon, and we are doing our Monday Prior Center Profiles, where we look back at Arkansas history with archives donated from KATV to the Prior Center. We do and, this every Monday. And we've been doing it since the pandemic, so we right. have uh, more than 100 programs right. in, our arc, in our own archive, uh, but you can listen to those if you go to the Prior Center website, P-R-Y-O-R, just Google it and go to the Prior Center in the K-A-T-V section. Right. Uh, it says Ozarks at Large, and you can go to that and you can listen to any of these programs, and that will have the subject, and you just click on it, and you can stream and listen to it. Some of it has uh, associated video also. Uh, one of the things that we have done over the past few years in this segment is talk about documentaries that were made for politicians. Yes, and they weren't really documentaries. No. They were 30-minute commercials. Infomercials, really. It, yeah, they the were. They, yeah. they were the beginning, probably, of the infomercial. But uh, what candidates would do, and this was in the late 50s, early 60s, and even into the 70s, but they would have a uh, big ad agency like Cranford Johnson, Robinson Woods, or someone at that time that could do a slick production would produce a 30-minute program on that candidate. And they would generally set up a buy program through their sales department that, you know, there were only three stations at the time. Right. Uh, and they would, after the six o'clock news, you know, there's that time in there where you see Wheel of Fortune or... Prime Access, it's called in the television world. Thank you very yes. much, yes. yes. Um, and during that Prime Access, they would just block out and buy that half hour on all three stations. So if you're home watching TV <laughs> and you finish the news, you don't have any choice. You're going to watch this. You're going to watch something about... This candidate. Yes, and so in this case, uh, we pulled a uh, little campaign film uh, from Sid McMath's uh, 1962 gubernatorial campaign. His name is Sid McMath, a lawyer by trade, a hunter when he can be. This summer, he's a candidate for governor on the Democratic ticket. He's a man with one thing on his mind the future of Arkansas. 
What's the 18-year-old going to do, do you know? I hope he goes to college. If I find the money, send him. Are you, are you working? No, sir. I'm laid off from Arkadell. How, how long have you been laid off? Uh, three weeks this time. Well, you say this time. Have you been laid off before? Yes, sir. Two years before. I can go to work now, I guess. I just got back from Beaumont. I can go to work down on the docks. But, Lord, I have to leave home, and I, it's not going to leave Arkansas at all. Yeah. You like Arkansas? I love Arkansas, man. Well, yeah. that's good. I wouldn't trade a foot of Arkansas for the rest of the states put together. Well, that's great. Well, I tell you, we're going to do something about this unemployment, Jim. Well, let's hope so. Somebody yeah. needs to do something. We've got somebody up there that ain't doing nothing now. Yeah. Something else we've talked about in in the past few years was the the really the concentration camps that were in Arkansas for Japanese Americans during World War II. Right, and we did an entire segment on that, mm-hmm. and uh, it was precipitated by an interview that the Pryor Center did uh, with a key figure, and we'll come to that in a minute. But first, let's kind of dive into the archives. Um, you know, during World War II, Thousands of Japanese Americans were imprisoned. Yeah, lost uh, their lost their property, lost everything. lost their homes. Well, and they were taken to these camps. They called them relocation camps, internment camps. They were prison camps, right? Covered bar, you know, surrounded in barbed wire. Had limited uh, access to what you could do. Armed guards in towers, and there were two in Arkansas. Uh, there was. Uh, the main one was in Roar, Arkansas, mm-hmm. which was in Deshea County. And in 1967, uh, Jim Pitcock, longtime news director, reporter, my boss, uh, mentor, uh, traveled to Roar as a reporter and did a story on what was left of the internment camp there. And there were actually residents who who remembered. This cemetery represents an unfortunate period in U.S. history. After the Japanese attack on Pearl Harbor in 1941, more than 17,000 Japanese were moved here from California because Japanese underground activity was feared during the war. Many of the Japanese were brought to Arkansas to live at this camp at Roar, which is located about 14 miles north of McGee. A second camp was located at Jerome, south of Dermot. 7,000 Japanese were relocated there. One man that remembers that period well is C.C. Stewart, superintendent of Deshea County Schools. Many of the Japanese uh, were bitter for the, because they were taken out of their occupation. But however, they most of them understood, especially the children, that uh, it was necessary uh, some of the older persons were, never did uh, believe that uh, it was right, but most of them believed that uh, it was right to come to a place like that for their own protection as much as for the protection against some, an invasion in California. Okay, let's contrast here. Mm-hmm. There, you, you had this man from 1967, uh, local resident, right. uh, older white male, on with his recollection yes. of, of what had happened there. Uh, so in 2008, we, the Prior Center, went to the Hot Springs Documentary Film Festival and interviewed filmmaker, actor, activist, 
social media sensation George Takei. Right. Yeah, he's all over the place. And he was there introducing his new film at the time, a documentary called It's Okay to Be Takei. Mm. And we sat down and talked to him. And his big connection to this is that when he was five years old, he was taken from his home, his entire family, uh, from California. And they spent uh, a considerable amount of time at that camp in Roar. So he has, George Takei, has a completely different uh, right. take, obviously, right. on, on what happened back then. My brother and I were in the living room uh, looking out the front window, mm-hmm. and we saw two soldiers marching up our driveway. And I remember the flashing the sunlight flashing on their bayonets. They stomped up. They had bayonets on. They had bayonets on. And um, they stomped at the front porch, banged on the door. My father answered it. And literally at gunpoint, we were ordered out of our home. My father had uh, small pieces of luggage for my brother and me to carry. And we went out and we stood on the uh, driveway waiting for my mother to come out. And uh, when she finally emerged from the house, she had the baby in one arm, a great big huge duffel bag in the other, and tears were streaming down her cheek. It was a terrifying morning for us, for me. And we were put on a truck uh, with other Japanese American families um, that they had gathered. And they took us to uh, Santa Anita Racetrack these archives, especially the ones from KETV that are being digitized, this is happening because of a, a finan- financial right. support. Right. We're, we're a nonprofit. We're part of the university. Um, KETV donated the collection with the idea. Um, and actually, I was there as news director when we made the donation, not knowing that I would <laughs> end up here. But uh, the idea is to digitize all 26,000 hours that were donated uh, to the prior center. Um, fortunately, we received an amazing gift from Tyson Foods and Barbara Tyson, which is allowing us to be able to digitize all this. And we'll be we're we're working on ways to make this accessible and searchable and as easy as possible to find. It's it's kind of a challenge because this is probably the largest uh, archive collection, video archive, of any local station in the country. And it's quite a challenge when you change formats Mm -hmm. of videotape and digital um, and then formats of how to store the information, the metadata of retrieving it. It's one thing to save it. Right. Another thing to be able to find what you need. That's right. Well, I've referred to this and what we're going to do next week is greatest hits. And that's, you know, a term you most often associate with music. So let's end with music. I love to end with music. Yeah, you do. (laughs) (laughs) But let's do a little music and a little history. You can't talk about folk music and folk history in Arkansas without bringing up the name Jimmy Driftwood. Well, you shouldn't anyway. Right. Um, if you haven't heard of him, uh, his his real name was uh, James Corbett Norris. 
He was born in Timbo, Arkansas in 1907, went by the name of Jimmy Driftwood, and he was actually a history teacher, right. small, you know, town history, te- country mm-hmm. history teacher, uh, and he would teach his classes through songs. He would write songs and sing them, and he wrote more than 6,000 and here's a career for you. More than 300 of them were recorded by various artists over the year. Now, he won Song of the Year Grammy. The first year, I the think. The very yeah. first for a country music song. In 1959, it was for a song called The Battle of New Orleans. Went to number one with Johnny Horton singing it, but Song of the Year goes to the songwriter. Yes. Yeah. So, and he was big. He toured Europe, and he... Um, he was a sensation, but he was also a good friend to KATV, Channel 7, and Jim Pitcock. And we went up uh, to his land in Stone County in 1969, and he had his homemade guitar he'd made from uh, rail wood, mm-hmm. and uh, he performed the song and gave a little bit of... Uh, a history lesson. So shall we close with that? Let's close with that. We get together almost every Monday, and next Monday we'll do a little bit more of our greatest hits of the past uh, sessions we've done. Oh, and there's some fun ones All right. There. We're going to end with Jimmy Driftwood. You're Randy Dixon with the Prior Center for Arkansas Oral Visual History. Thank you, Randy. Thank you. I'll see you next week. In 1814, we took a little trip along with Colonel Jackson down the mighty Mississippi. Took a little bacon and we took a little beans. We met the bloody British near the town of New Orleans. Fired our guns and the British kept a coming, but there wasn't I as many as there was a while ago. We fired once more and they began to run it down the Mississippi to the Gulf of Mexico. Well, I see Mars Jackson walking down the street. Arkansas Community Foundation has a vision for communities in Arkansas to become the place your kids want to raise their kids. By strategically funding local nonprofits, ARCF provides not only resources, insight, and inspiration, but also a statewide impact to build better communities. More at ARCF.org. This is Ozarks at Large. Beginning tomorrow, Music City USA is celebrating Arkansas-born composer Florence Price with a series of concerts and talks. Doug Shadel is an associate professor of musicology at the Vanderbilt University Blair School of Music in Nashville. He's also a researcher of Price's life and music, and he's an organizer of this month's commemoration of Price. He says part of the celebration is an expansion of how we view the Little Rock-born Florence Price. Everyone likes to say that she was a, a pioneering orchestral music composer, but I think she was so much more, and that's part of the message that we're sending uh, in this festival. Her music was rarely performed live during her lifetime. Orchestras greatly ignored the work of black composers, let alone the compositions of black women. In recent years, there have been several recordings of her work released. Violinist Urging Kong recorded a 2018 record of Price music. Noxos Records issued a CD of two of her symphonies, performed by the Fort Smith Symphony in 2019, and the Philadelphia Orchestra released a record of two symphonies in 2021. Shadle says this month's Nashville appreciation of Florence Price includes several collaborators. The music department at Tennessee State University is an incredible musical hub of classical music, jazz, and a lot of other types of music. And as a historically black college and university, it it has 
sustained a performance tradition that has included Price's music for far longer than the rest of the world has taken interest. And so to partner with a historically black university like Tennessee State um, really makes a lot of sense. He says the Nashville Symphony has been diversifying the music they present, and that made them a great partner. And then finally, um, a different dimension of this has been a collaboration with the W.O. Smith School of Music, which is uh, uh, teaches younger students, and they offer private lessons for something like a quarter or 50 cents a lesson oh. in perpetuity. So they help economically disadvantaged students uh, take classical music lessons. And so they're participating um, in this festival through another creative activity. The first event of Florence Price, a celebration, is tomorrow night. And the concerts continue through November 14th. Price composed more than 300 works. Shadle says she's a remarkable figure, not only because she was prolific, but because her music spans seemingly the entire spectrum of classical music. Price's style cannot be contained. She was a creative engine. And I can, if you like one, you can name your favorite thing. I can say, oh, well, you should check this out. Oh, well, you should check this out by Price. And so the line I like to say is there is a little bit of Florence Price for everybody. Florence Price was born in Little Rock in 1887 and studied at the New England Conservatory of Music. She's considered to be the first African-American woman to have a composition played by a major orchestra. She did live again in Arkansas in the early part of the 20th century, but a series of incidents, including the lynching of a black man in 1927, convinced Price and her husband to move their family out of the state. Shadle says he wants the Nashville Bay celebration to provide not just a chance for people to hear her music, but learn about her passions as a musician, educator, and activist. There's a great interview with her where she says, um, you know, always put your ideals in front of you and keep working toward them and try to have faith in that what you're doing is right and what you're doing is meaningful. And I think that she would be just supremely honored that so many people in a single place can come together and see that her ideals meant something, that her musicianship could touch so many different people from around the world and especially across generations. She was teaching at a, a kind of settlement house uh, an integrated settlement house in Chicago called the Abraham Lincoln Center, which was um, socioeconomically diverse. And she taught younger students, she taught adult students, and that was really a central part of her life. And so part of the uh, part of the concept behind this celebration is that we're using the words composer, pianist, educator, that those are really, three different sides of the same entity. And so I think Price would would appreciate, or at least I hope she would appreciate seeing more of her whole self than say a symphony orchestra can show. I heard the Chicago Symphony, one of the world's great orchestras, 
under Riccardo Muti, one of the world's great conductors, perform Price's Third Symphony. That was last May, in May of 2022. Last week in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, I heard the Philadelphia Orchestra, one of the world's great orchestras, under Yannick Neze Seguin, one of the world's great conductors, perform Price's Third Symphony, same piece. I recognized the piece, but I, I heard new things. I mean, it was it was a revelation. And, you know, in both cases, the orchestra just blew the roof off the top of the place. I mean, it was just, you know, an immediate standing ovation, unbridled cheers and enthusiasm after hearing it because the music is so profound. But for many people, truthfully, it was hearing that piece live for the first time. For me, it was hearing the piece live for the second time, both with a great orchestra and a great conductor. And I just thought, gosh, I want to hear this again. Like, I want to hear somebody else do it. I want to hear somebody else do it. Because e each performance reveals new things. Doug Shadle is an associate professor of musicology at the Vanderbilt University Blair School of Music in Nashville. He's also a researcher of Price's life. And he's an organizer of this month's commemoration of Price that's taking place throughout Nashville. The first concert is tomorrow night, followed by another on Friday. You can find the entire schedule of events at Blair. .vanderbilt.edu. And by the way, the music we heard a moment ago is from that 2019 Noxos recording of the Fort Smith Symphony under the direction of John Jetter. From Little Rock, I'm Stephen Cook with Arkansas. Black Oak, Arkansas took its name from the community in eastern Craighead County and made its name largely through its live act, which included a triple guitar attack, a blistering rhythm section, and of course, the guttural howl of the band's swaggering, washboard-wheeling singer Jim Dandy Mangrum, one of rock's greatest frontmen. Playing a grueling schedule of hundreds of dates a year, the band was one of the top-grossing touring acts of the 1970s. Amidst all this carnage, easily overlooked is Black Oak, Arkansas' softer side. It's a tantalizing yet small chapter of the band's canon, often neglected by the band itself. Heard here from its 1971 debut album is Memories at the Window, which shows Mangrum's seldom-heard balladry. Hills of Arkansas, Uncle Elijah, and the band's cover of Drasco, Arkansas native Melvin Inslee singing the blues from the album are also softer, but still feature Mangrum's trademark rasp. Black Oak, Arkansas could become the new Rolling Stones, concluded Rolling Stone magazine in its record review. Produced by Lee Dorman and Mike Panera of the band Iron Butterfly, Black Oak, Arkansas, however, would never again embrace its folk and country influences as fully as it did on its first album. In fact, Black Oak, Arkansas dispensed with the acoustic guitars, Crittenden County native Harvey Jett's banjo, and Craighead County native Stanley Knight's pedal steel altogether on its 1972 sophomore album, Keep the Faith, produced by the band. But they returned somewhat with Black Oak's third record, the Tom Dowd produced, If an Angel Came to See You, Would You Make Her Feel at Home, also from 1972. Heard here from that album is Fertile Woman, which highlights the lyrical bass playing, Pat Darty, and the band's effective use of backing and acapella vocals also used on other Black Oak songs like In Our Mind's Eye and the band's version of Dixie. Oh, even 
links to the looser, progressive playlists of the album rock era, Black Oak, Arkansas got some radio airplay and deeper cuts like Hot and Nasty and Lord Have Mercy on My Soul. But Black Oak, Arkansas's biggest radio and chart success came with its 1973 cover of Laverne Baker's 1956 hit, Jim Dandy to the Rescue, which broke the top 25. Its next biggest chart hit actually came with the ballad, Strong Enough to Be Gentle, from the band's 1975 album X-Rated, which reached number 89 on the charts. I woke up one morning to a world that was gray. Sunshine was gone and the birds had flown away. Black Oak, Arkansas's most successful album was 1973's High on the Hog, thanks to the inclusion of the song Jim Dandy, but other songs from the album, like High and Dry and Back to the Land, refute those who consider the band one-dimensionally heavy, even if a lot of that is the band's own doing. Arkansas would continue to record additional folk and country-inflected music, like Everybody Wants to See Heaven, Nobody Wants to Die, Sweet Delta Water, The Snake, and Digging for Gold. It would also continue to redefine and refine its sound, adding a keyboard player and adding female vocalist Ruby Starr. The band's Capricorn releases from the mid-1970s particularly saw Black Oak smooth out its sound, even including Mangrum's vocals. And while it all disproved that the public preferred Black Oak, Arkansas's hot and nasty raunch and roll over the band's lighter fare, the small window into the band's softer side offers a glimpse into what could have been. Showcasing the band's softer side, here in its entirety, is High and Dry from Black Oak, Arkansas's album High on the Hog from 1973. When the water is rising, tell me where you gonna go. When the dams are all busting and it's flooding down below and the rushing of the river tells you there's no place to hide you'll be hiding right you'll be right by my side I am dry with the waters down below running where they want to go but they can't touch you no more I am dry with the waters that I tied by my side we're high and dry when the streams are all swollen and the rivers are sweating and you cannot find a hole in which to hide except the one you fell in and that muddy old man river tries to take you for a ride you be
High and Dry, from Black Oak, Arkansas's 1973 album, High on the Hog. It's another song of Arkansas. From Little Rock, I'm Stephen Cook, with Arkansas. Arkansas is underwritten by Arkansas Heritage. Relive your favorite Barton Coliseum concert memories at the Old State House Museum in downtown Little Rock, where they still play it loud. This is Ozarks at Large, a production of KUAF 91.3, Fayetteville, Fort Smith, Bentonville, and Hiawassee. Contributors today included Jack Travis, Randy Dixon, and Stephen Cook. Additional reporting for our show today provided by the news team at Little Rock Public Radio. And we are thrilled to be on the air in central Arkansas. And we're excited about further collaborations between the state's public radio stations coming in the future. Mm -hmm. Uh, Exciting. It is. It is. Matthew produced today's show in the Bruce and Ann Applegate News Studio 2 at the Carver Center for Public Radio. I'm Kyle Kellums. I'm Matthew Moore. Don't forget, if you are listening to the show for the first time, we've got a lot of ways that you can keep up with Ozarks at Large online. We've got a daily newsletter that comes into your email inbox every weekday morning. We've got a podcast version of this show wherever you listen to podcasts. Just look for Ozarks at Large. We've got a word game that comes out every single day. If you're a listener of Ozarks at Large, you'll probably find some clues on uh, Mm -hmm. what that five-letter word is going to be. And of course, you can always find our stories, young and old, at ozarksatlarge.com. All right, so the newsletter that you just mentioned at the beginning of that, uh, you can sign up for that for free. And what that does is it brings you the next day everything that was on the previous day's show and gives you direct links. So if you miss an edition of Ozarks at Large, Mm -hmm. it's still easy to sign up, and that's available wherever you are. That's right, yep. And it gives you uh, transcriptions of lots of our stories. It gives you uh, photos and links, all of the stuff you're looking for. Right there at OzarksAtLarge.com. All right. We will be back tomorrow with a Tuesday edition of Ozarks at Large. We're here five days a week. For those of you in northwest Arkansas, there's also weekend Ozarks at Large Sunday morning at 9. Thanks so much for being with us. I'm Matthew Moore. I'm Kyle Callums. Thanks for being with us. KUAF is supported by Butterfield Trail Village, a premier northwest Arkansas retirement community catering to active lifestyles and resident well-being. Offering daily activities, a variety of living options, plus wellness amenities, including an aquatic center and fitness facilities. ButterfieldTrailVillage.org for more. Crystal Bridges invites guests to experience the classical compositions of renowned musicians at the Van Cliburn Concert Series this fall. It will feature performances by award-winning pianist Vadim Kaladinko and Joyce Yang. Two live concerts bringing masterful melodies to Bentonville. Tickets and more at crystalbridges.org.